Welcome to Focus on Claims with Ernie Bray, CEO of ACD. Hey everyone, Ernie Bray here with another episode of Focus on Claims. And this is a special one. This is a kind of a live version right here in San Diego. And today I got a special guest, Michael O'Leary. Mike's in from the East Coast coming out here, part of the ACD team. Glad to have you on today. Thanks, Ernie. It's great to be here. Enjoying the weather. Yeah, a little different than the East Coast, I bet, huh? Certainly is. It's 95 <laughs> degrees and humid in Pennsylvania right now, so this is well, refreshing. We're glad to get you out here. But I wanted to, in this episode, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, your background. You know, we I'd known you, we'd met years back, you know, when you worked for some other companies, and we're glad to have you on board now uh, and bringing that wealth of information that you have. Um, but I want to tell our listeners a little bit about you, your background, how you got in the industry and on, on our long journeys. You know, Ernie, it's funny. A lot of people know me as the guy who spent a lot of years at a, a big carrier and working at home office and doing all that. But a lot of people don't know where I started. And actually, my degree is in automotive and internal combustion. Uh huh. So I was building race cars and doing custom paint work, pulling frames. And I was actually a body shop manager before I got into the insurance industry after being lured in by a couple of adjusters who said, look, you're not gonna be want to be doing this when you're 50 years old. So, so, you, so got your, you got your hands dirty, you were doing the job. I did, I you was know? a frame man, a painter, uh, pretty much everything that was done in the shop. Back then, you got a car, you did the whole thing all the way through, detailing it after it was complete. Oh, so, so tell me about the evolution of how you got into this claims world, like myself, I was, I played basketball in college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Got into sales and then somebody told me, hey, you should try insurance ingesting. Sort of like you can investigate claims because I wanted to maybe be in law enforcement at one time. I didn't really, wasn't sure. And I found out myself in the insurance industry. And a lot of people that get in the industry, they go, how'd you get in there? And they just kind of fell into it. So like, how did you? Uh, honestly, I thought I was going to be an auto appraiser until the day I retired. Really? It, it, you know, sometimes you, you don't know what you don't know, right? You, you're intimidated by the insurance industry. You think, uh -huh. man, these things are really complex. It's really not. I started with a great company back in 89, mm -hmm. went through three different three-week training courses, uh -huh. learned everything from basic claims practices, coverage, liability, investigation, casualty, how to interpret policies, uh, property claims. We pretty much did everything back in the day. And it really gives you a holistic understanding of the industry. And believe it or not, I only worked for about a year and a half in material damage. Wow. And I was transferred, it was material damage in auto, mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, in homeowners. And then they transferred me over to do casualty claims. And I thought this was a yeah. whole different world. What, what's this car guy doing that was just, you know, spraying cars a year and a half ago. Now I'm, I'm doing casualty claims and taking recorded statements and doing the full investigation on a file and pay medical bills, paying lawyers. And then it morphed into me, you know, handle, handling the claims that had multiple fatalities, uh, handling claims where there was litigation management, uh, very, very complex claims. Mm -hmm. And and then it you know, circled back. They said, hey, now it's great you learned all that, but we really want your auto skill set back. So I went to be a, a superintendent of, in, in claims in mm -hmm. the field and it was just, the whole, but that whole experience, that whole learning the other side of the industry made me very sympathetic to yeah. what my counterparts have to go through. And that's what we do, right? We have to yeah. not just think about what we do, but how is it what we do? How does that impact everyone else downstream and mm -hmm. upstream from us? So it sounds like, so you having that, uh, the you know, repair background, then going into the casualty, 
Did you feel like that time the training like was was really good? The training really helped set your up for success. No, it was fantastic. I mean, we they flew me out to Columbus, Ohio, mm -hmm. and, and put me up in a place for three weeks, and it was very rigorous testing. It wasn't open book. We actually had our own auto shop. Yeah, we had a, a property that was actually simulated a fire. Um, we had skeletons. We had to learn every bone in the You know, that's body. funny you say that. That's, that's what I went through when I worked for the large carrier I worked for. They sent me off to training classes, and I think the training was really good. In fact, that training is something that I still bring to everything I do today, and I know you do as well. That those, those, the basis of what we built ourselves on, I think today it seems like a lot of adjusters, I know carriers, have, a lot of them have changed some of their methodology. They have more of a siloed approach. But there's, there's nothing beats that detailed training where you learn pretty much all aspects of it. Because like you said, knowing how to handle a claim from front to end really, really has a lot of value because you're seeing what that customer has to go through too. It does, and, and it really also teaches you how to identify red flags within a file. Mm -hmm. So you think that my job is just to go out there and write an appraisal, but sometimes I'm looking at loss descriptions, I'm looking at yep. coverages, um, even the, the registration information, and sometimes things don't add up. Yep. So I, it really made me aware of when I needed to raise a red flag or at least have someone take a second look at something. So, so, so once you did all that and you, you, you had worked your way, so what was your evolution of your career? How did that, you know, the path move on? Well, I, I started, I, was, I ran a county. Okay. Right? And I did the, the auto claims and the property claims. And then they pulled me over into casualty and said, hey, you're going to be a casualty mm -hmm. adjuster. It was uncomfortable, but look, yep. we stretched people back then. We cross-trained people because... At that time, we knew that if we had a, a well-rounded group of people that understood the industry holistically, that they would be better no matter what craft they decided to pursue in the industry. Yep. They were going to be better because they understood how this all was woven together. So I did get pulled back into the auto side. I actually started a DRP program in Northeast Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and uh, wrote an access database. Had never written wow. a database before, but I knew I, there had to be a better way than writing all this stuff down on, on uh, tick sheets. You're trying to bring innovation right then. I, I did, and, and oddly enough, it was that one thing that had my company come up to me and say, do you think you could replicate this for the state of Pennsylvania? Mm -hmm. And we did, and we built a, a more robust database and hired programmers, and we started doing audit, file auditing before anybody really knew what that was, auditing against yeah. you know, labor rates and, and how much, was, what was the price of a car cover? You know, right. what, what was the allowable time for tinting and blending? And That's buffing. when data was so far, you're hard to get really good metrics to it even was. manage. It was, you, you got the data a month after it was a month old. <laughs> wow. So there was no real time data management. Have you seen like just the estimating side of the business? I mean, when I got in, in right when I got in, they were starting to actually go from the, the, the manuals. You were writing manuals. That's why I learned how to write estimates. And then right into the, the, the advent of starting to use the computer. And I'm sure you saw that process to evolve over the years. You know, it, it, it's changed the game, I think, in some ways making it easier, but you still got to know, you got to know how to repair the car and how the process. That training is so important. It's funny, Ernie, when I started, actually, we used to handwrite estimates. Wow. And then we had to put the manual tick sheet from the little calculator that would yeah. spit out the tick sheet. Wow. And we would staple that onto our estimate with the Polaroids that we took. You know, people would be so happy back then. I remember when you would be like, okay, 
uh, they would come into my office and they would sit down. I'd do the portion of the claim. Then I'd go out and I was a lot inspector. We'd, we'd go out there, write the estimate. And then you'd be like, okay, let me write this up. I'll get this into the mail in the mail to you and you'll get it in a few days. And then you can take it to the shop you want to go to. People were taking a few days. Now they want it in hours. Isn't exactly. It? And, you know? and you know what's really odd? Back in the late 80s when I started in this, we were doing three, four, five, six claims a day, you know, depending on what day of the week claims come in yep. based on you know, when customers have accidents. You usually got buried on Monday and Friday afternoon was usually pretty good. But when I look at productivity levels today, they're not much different. So we brought all this technology and all this stuff in, mm -hmm. but have we really become more efficient? And I, and I think some of that is maybe because you, I've seen the industry change so much. Mm -hmm. when, when I started, it was you either went out and saw the vehicle yep. or they brought it to the drive and claim center. And then we DRP things started. We said, yeah. we have these shops that are fantastic that are in different locations. Uh, we think they could do a good job for us. And then digital imaging came along. Yep. When I first started in DRP, they were mailing us Polaroids. So I remember having to take 35 millimeters down and have those developed all the time. That was one of my <clears throat> tasks uh, the, for the whole team. So gosh, it's amazing how this stuff has evolved, you know, but it's evolved in a way, but then some of the things are still the same, that customer interaction. It's the, the customer, they get in an accident, they're going through a stressful time in their lives, and then they want their car repaired quickly and accurately. Or if it's a total loss, they want that process quickly. And, and really, I think that it's, nothing's really changing the actual process of a claim. It's becoming more efficient is what, what's driving everything. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the anxiety for the customer starts from the minute they call and report that claim and hang up the phone, mm -hmm. anxiety starts to build. What next? What next? What next? Yep. And that's where, you know, the speed of contacting customers, getting out there timely to see vehicles, Look, I have nothing against direct repair programs. They're great. They're not for everyone. Mm -hmm. I have nothing against photo estimating. Some people, you know, you get a small hit, shopping cart runs into a door. That, that's great. Yeah. But I got to tell you, I fixed a lot of cars in my life, too. Yeah. And I don't know that I could have accurately written uh, a lot of those vehicles without being in front of the vehicle. I don't I, know that the photo necessarily would tell me the complete Yeah, story. the photo thing, I think, really is more around, around the fact that you're getting a claim started quicker. It helps the owner be um, a, a process. They're, they're part of the process. So they can get that claim filed. It gives, I think it gives the carrier a lot of times an initial view of what the, the accident looks like. Like, wow, maybe this needs to be escalated to a field inspection. But you're right. The accuracy does take a little bit of a hit because you're not going to be that great unless you have somebody right there to see it. But I think that aspect is, creates more speed into the process. But it's really, it's, it's, it's still never going to replace the full expertise of somebody. No, and I think, again, you're gonna get the small claims where you can see everything, you know, it's a dent in a fender, it's a dent in a hood, a scratch in the door, that, that's, that's the easy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But what happens when you get that bumper cover that's been hit and you've got sensors behind it, you've got ADOS sensors that could be damaged, you've got absorbers that could be compromised where in the event of a second hit, you know, you're going to have issues. You so. know, that's so right, because what used to be a small bumper hit or something that looks like a scratch in a bumper, with all that technology behind it now on cameras and all these things, that can change the game on the pricing and the repair costs, which, I mean, we've already seen repair costs going up in the industry. That's one of the things I've seen. Um, I think, what do you think is going to go on with the, um, the some of the the way the self-driving and collision avoidance technology is going on out there? Do you think it's going to really make a big change in the industry, or is it... Uh, more going to be more towards assisted driving. You know, it's already made a change in the industry if you think about it. You know, BMW was the first one to really come up with the technology for accident avoidance. Mm -hmm. um, 
being able to balance cars in a hard turn, decelerating, yeah. a lot of those things. I bought my daughter a BMW back in 2006 because, mm -hmm. you know, I did a bunch of research on it. That was a yeah. safe car. I was working with NHTSA at the time. I knew that that collision avoidance was there. And, and it's evolved over time. But at the same time, I think it's given consumers a level of comfort that this vehicle is going to do things and they become distracted much more easily, thinking that the vehicle's gonna save them. I haven't seen frequencies drop a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, frequencies have actually been picking up, and, and many times I've seen that happening now after coming out somewhat out of the COVID situation. You know, with the fact we talked about, you know, frequencies rising and carriers, you know, trying to adapt to the kind of a new normal now, a lot of the photo estimating has come into play. And like we said before, it does make sense in some situations, but it's not the cure-all for everything. I think you know we're excited to have you on board the team and bringing it. We're really re enhancing our team here and growing this. We're really trying to bring to the industry kind of that solution that can kind of morph and fit to a specific carrier's needs or a, you know maybe it's a self-insured and and you know talk let's talk a little bit about the fact that you know how the needs of a carrier change and how they can adapt to the environment by using some of these solutions but also keeping a balanced approach. And and I think some of the things that. I think where people can excel in the industry is, is let's take photo estimating. Okay. You get photos in and you know that this thing is hit on or near the A pillar. Mm -hmm. What do you do with that? Do you try to force it through and, and desk review it? Or do you say, you know what, this probably isn't the right forum and venue for it. Right. I'm going to recommend that you send somebody out there to see it. There's a lot of things that people are doing at their call centers and, and understanding the severity, mm -hmm. even early identification of total losses. But then furthermore saying, well, it doesn't quite score. Right. But really that's something you get those hard hits. It's at a it's a difficult type of vehicle. Get somebody out there to look at it. You're still going to have those little parking lot dings. Yeah, there, there's technology is going to change. But I, I was told years ago that by 2020, when we first started talking about ADOS. Yep that all the vehicles will be self-driving by 2020. I was kind of worried about that five or six years ago myself. I felt like th there felt like it was a boom where everything was going to be self-driving. I know there's all these companies, tech companies were out there trying to have the, they were doing test track driving and these things. And I thought this was going to be, and this has sort of faded lately. I saw some articles recently that said that that last 5% or so, maybe five or so, it's just that that's the insurmountable part that you haven't been able to. Well, we got to level two, right? We got vehicles that can assist us to stay in our lane. They can auto brake. They mm -hmm. can let us know if, if someone's tailgating us too closely. There's a lot of, our mirrors light up when we go to change lanes yep. if someone's in the way. Yep. But when you think about level four, level five, truly self-driving vehicles that can take you, not just across the highway, but take you through the city. Right. Uh, and, you know, and who makes the decision of when what you hit? Because sometimes it's unavoidable, right? Your, your human brain can process information so quickly. Right. And it's, are you going to run into the pedestrian or are you going to run into the telephone pole? Because you, 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 there's no other choice. You've got oncoming traffic. I know. So be, I know. think they call it with the, the trolley. Um, there's, a, there's a term for that where you have to make that kind of decision. Who's going to make it? Is it going to be programmers? Is it going to be, you know, who's going to make those decisions? And that's, I think it's, that's where it's going to be tough. But and, and how does the conscience involved in that? That's one thing that we bring as human beings. Yeah. We have a conscience that helps us guide ourselves I know. in those decisions. So That's where the AI and all that stuff is going to be. That's going to be a, a, an interesting part of the future. Here, you know, at, at ACD, what we're trying to do is when I look at when I look at us as a company, I, I look at us as, as a company that's going to be able to, in the ever-changing environment of where things are going, is to be that flexible company where we can kind of 
flex back and forth. You know, like if a company wants to go into some photo estimating, we have that ability to help them out. But we also have the ability and the expertise with people like you, and we serve as consultants for the clients. We want to sit down and say, hey, what are you trying to accomplish? And, and tell, tell us a little bit about how when you work with a, a carrier or a self-insured or you, whatever company you're working with, how you kind of try to analyze what their processes are and help them make good decisions. You know, Ernie, it's interesting that you say that because I don't believe that I go in there and tell somebody what we have. Mm -hmm. I go in and try to understand their business and understand what they need. A great lesson was taught to me a long time ago is, don't tell me what you want. Yep. Tell me the problem you're trying to solve and let's collectively figure out the best solution for that. And what's the best solution today and what does that solution look like six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, so we can morph into it. So I think having a consultative approach with clients, really understanding what their need is mm -hmm. and then collaborating on the best outcome for them, I think gives them a much better result. Yeah, I, I think with somebody such as yourself with the expertise and all the background you have, I think really helps assist a lot of uh, potential customers and clients out there who are really trying to, many times, trying to find out how they can run their operations more efficiently. They may see these technologies, they may see things that have a wow factor, but then to see it in the real life, what really makes sense, what's going to give them the results they're looking for, makes a difference. And, and, I, and you make a great point. And I think that we talk about AI, mm -hmm artificial intelligence, but I think there's a gap between here and there with augmented intelligence. I think, you know, we're so much better at creating rules to help point us in the right direction, yep. to help guide us along the way. Um, even things like, like we're doing with uh, forensic identification of potential fraud in right. photo estimating. Exactly. I mean, look, what's the new frontier for fraud? The new frontier is, I don't really have to worry about someone coming out to see my vehicle as much. Right. I'm just going to send photos in. Is what's on the other side of that camera really what is insured or what was involved in that third party loss? When were the photos taken? You know, were they altered in any way? Mm -hmm. Is there metadata that supports that? Is there geodata that supports that? Those are all things, that, being good stewards of the industry, those are all things that we look at and we consider in bringing a better product, mm -hmm. augmented intelligence. I love that, that's a, that's, a, that's a great point. Because I look at it, when you say augmented intelligence, I look at it as an aspect of like, we're also trying to help those adjusters when they're utilizing uh, ACD, we're bringing information to them to help make them do their job better. We want to help them make their job, because we know adjusters are pretty busy. They have a lot of files they're handling, they have things they're doing, and everything we can do as a company to assist them and, and make their job easier all helps in ultimately helping the customer out. Absolutely, and, and look, and that's my job, right? Is to help understand the need of the customer. Just because what we give them today, maybe what someone had on, on the shelf and they said, hey, this is good enough. Maybe they don't understand all the other things that we can offer and all the things that we yeah. can do. So again, you get that scope creep. You've been doing business with someone for five years and yeah. you continue to do it that way. Yeah. We, owe, we owe it to our customers to go and sit down with them and take a very consultive approach to looking at how is the business going to change? How has it changed? Yep. And where are we going to be going forward in the development of helping them meet their needs? Yep, great points. Well, I'm going to wrap it up here. It's been great having you on this you know, short little video and, and talking about you know, your background and, and where the industry is going and what we're doing at ACD. Uh, before we finish though, I want to tell, tell our listeners something that's 
about you. Michael Leary, tell them about you. What's some of the fun, fun things you like to do when you're off time, when you're not working? You know, Ernie, I'm a grandpa now, and I've got a three and a five-year-old uh, granddaughter and grandson, and that, that truly has been what brought me the greatest amount of joy. Um, That's you know, great. I took some time off. I, I bought a lake house. Yeah. And I remodeled it. Um, a lot of people don't know that I, I can do electrical and carpentry. And you did it all yourself. All that. That's the key. The vast majority of it, yes. <laughs> but I selfishly said if I buy a lake house and I make it attractive, yeah. my grandkids will always want to come and visit me. So That's that, you know, when I look at my future, I look at what's my legacy with my daughter and my grandchildren. Yeah. That, that's that's great. That's what concerns me the most, and that's what brings me to joy. That's awesome. That ain't a great story there. Well, hey, as we wrap up, I'll let Mike tell us. Tell us if, if anybody wants to, if we have a client out there interested in changing their process or improving things, they can get a hold of Michael Leary. Mike, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, you can email me at moleary at acvcorp.com, or you can call my mobile number at 614 371 6539. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Uh, look, uh, I'm old, I've been around, I've got a lot of ideas, I've seen a lot of things that work, a lot of things that didn't work. We'd love to help you. All right, well, it was great having you on, and we'll talk to you next time on Focus on Claims. Bye now. This has been Focus on Claims with Ernie Bray, President and CEO of ACD.